Our scripture reading for this morning comes from the prophet Jeremiah, chapter 29, verses 5 through 7. Let's read God's good word together. Build houses and live in them. Plant gardens and eat what they produce. Take wives and have sons and daughters. Take wives for your sons and give your daughters in marriage, that they may bear sons and daughters. Multiply there, do not decrease, but seek the welfare of the city where I have sent you into exile, and pray to the Lord on its behalf, for in its welfare you will find your welfare. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Amen. How is your 2020 calendar looking? Does it look anything like you thought it would whenever the year started? I'm guessing probably not. I got this new paper planner at the beginning of the year, and I was really excited about it. I'm usually an online planner kind of person, but I decided to go with paper this year. And so the year started out, you know, and I was writing in my appointments and my, my regular weekly things and then, you know, setting out some things. You know, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to do a weekly review every week, and, and in a month I'm going to review my progress toward my goals for the year. You know, just all of that. And, and I did pretty well, and, and, you know, then it trailed off because it wasn't January anymore. And uh, but, you know, I was still writing things and it was going pretty well. And um, and then, you know, mid-March hit and suddenly I had to start drawing lines through a lot of the things that I had written down. And, you know, eventually I just started writing things in it because life was nothing like I thought it was going to be. And lately my planner has just been sitting in my bag and it doesn't come out very much and it almost never gets opened. Can you relate to that? Well, see, I've actually, I think I've found out a solution. Instead of using a planner, what I do now is use a magic eight ball. And so whenever I have uh, something come up and I need to figure out when it can happen, I just shake the magic eight ball. So if somebody asks me if I can do a meeting at one o'clock on Tuesday, I I just shake the magic eight ball and and it says seems unlikely. And, And so I know that I have to tell them no and then ask again later. Well, actually, I don't, you know, I tell them I don't have my, uh, my calendar with me. Can you just send me an email? And, and then I move forward. And actually I found that my magic eight ball works about as well as my planner ever did. So, you know, you can try that if you want. Your mileage may vary, but, but we've had to take life as it comes this year. Things have not been the way that we thought they were going to be, and it's been really challenging. And we've got some experience with that, but if you're anything like me, the last couple of weeks have been a little bit harder, and things have begun to wear more, and it's, it's become difficult to just continue and, and to endure and to continue going through this. And so what we're talking about today is learning to take life as it comes and to experience fully the life that God has for us. My name is Brandon Blackson. I'm the associate pastor here at Acts 2, and I'm really glad to be with you. I'm excited to share this message because it's been an important one for me. And as I've been working through the scriptures, it's really been speaking to me about what it means to take life as it comes and to experience the life that God has for us. So I hope that you're as blessed by it as I have been. But we've been going through this sermon series called Disrupted, What to Do When You Don't Know What to Do. And we've looked through six principles so far. The first one is say yes to God. And this is really rooted in God's character and who God is. We say yes to God because of who God is. Psalm Psalm 145 guides us here. The Lord is gracious and merciful, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love. The Lord is good to all and his compassion is over all that he has made. And so because God is is compassionate to all, because God loves everyone, no matter what, we know that we can trust God. And so we say yes to God and God's will and desire for us. Then principle two, we choose our traveling companions wisely. 
because we know that none of us travels this journey alone. And so we need to have people who will row with us, who will be in our boats and who, who will help us, not just coast along with us and, and certainly not people who will drill holes in our boats, but who will actually support us on the journey and that we can support as well. Principle three is seek wisdom. We recognize that whenever we get into situations that are beyond anything that we expected or, or know anything about, that, that we need wisdom that is greater than ourselves. And so Jesus tells us, ask, search, knock, ask for wisdom, ask God, and seek it out with the people that God has provided for us. Ask people who are experts, seek it in the scriptures, seek it in people who have been through things that you're going through now. Principle four is leave your baggage behind. We, we all carry baggage from the past. And if we hold on to that, if we don't work through that, then it's going to continue to drag us down and, and it will prevent us from moving forward. And so we learn how to forgive. We learn how to deal with it. And we learn to move forward without our baggage and to leave it behind. Principle five, we own our stuff. We recognize that, um, that it's really tempting in situations that are beyond us, and, and especially in a situation like this, to blame people. It's really nice to have someone that we can pin the blame on, except that whenever we're in that situation, whenever we've given, um, we've given the blame to someone else, we're powerless because they're the one who caused our situation and we can't do anything about it. But whenever we learn to own our stuff, then we can actually make the changes we need to move forward. And then last week, Pastor Mark shared with us about embracing problems as gifts. Now, we've had many problems that have come up over the last several months that, that we never anticipated, and most of those have been unwelcome. And yet, whenever we learn to see problems as gifts, whenever we learn to recognize that healing is always accompanied by pain, we can recognize the gift on the other side. And whenever we learn to embrace those gifts, we can move forward through the problem as God leads us through it. And then today take life as it comes. Recognize that, that we can't control life and, and the way that it comes at us, but we have to take it as it is. And we get into these situations where things are going in ways that we didn't expect, that, that are not the way that we wanted them to be, and sometimes it just feels like life is on hold, like we're just waiting for things to begin, and, and certainly that's what it's felt like for the last 12 weeks. Things have been canceled or postponed, and, and it's been tempting just to, to wait for things to go back to normal for things to go back to the way that they were and, and to be able to have the things that we've postponed. And there have been some really hard things that, that we've had to wait for. And there are people who have lost jobs and, and who have been furloughed. There, there are people who have been needing to have procedures but have been a- unable to schedule them. There, there are all kinds of things that we've been waiting on. And this holding pattern that we've been in is, is just excruciating. And it feels like things are, are not moving forward. And we're tempted in those situations just to wait and, and, and to... Just wait until things change back to the way they were. And whenever things are like that, we desperately want things to go back to the way that they were. We want them to be different than what they currently are. And yet whenever in those situations, any amount of wanting that we can do doesn't change what we're going through. And here's why this is important. If we don't learn to take life as it comes, we will always be waiting for our real lives to begin. And God's desires for the world will go unrealized. We'll always just be waiting that, you know, just whenever I get around this corner, whenever we get through this pandemic and things get back to normal, whenever I get done with school, whenever my kid gets through this stage, whenever I'm healthy and feeling better, whatever it is, we're just waiting. And, and if we continue waiting like that, our whole life will pass us by. We'll always be waiting to get around the next corner until we've come to the last corner and we haven't really lived at all. 
and then God who desires for us to, to be God's hands and feet on, on the, in the world, who inspires us, who calls us to serve our neighbors, God's work will be undone because God doesn't force us into that. And so we absolutely have to learn to take life as it comes. And one of the ways that we can do that is by learning from the biblical witness, from learning from the people who have gone before us, and particularly the people who were living in exile. And so the, the kingdom of Judah, uh, about 600 years before Jesus was born in 597 BC, um, they were invaded by Babylon. And the Babylonian army took the king and the leaders of Judah into exile. They, they conquered the people and uh, violently removed the, the leaders out of the community so that they would be unable to, to revolt, to um, make the people rise up against their Babylonian conquerors. And so they took these people into exile and forced them to live in ba- Babylon in the land of their conquerors. And 10 years later, after a failed rebellion, the Babylonians even came in and destroyed Jerusalem, including the temple. They leveled it to the ground. They destroyed the very house of God. The people were overcome. They, they had never imagined anything like this could happen, that, that God would allow such a thing to happen. And, and the Psalm 137 describes the state that they were in. It says, By the rivers of Babylon, there we sat down, and there we wept when we remembered Zion. Zion, another word for Jerusalem, just the memory of it brought them to tears. On the willows there we hung up our harps, for there our captors asked us for songs, and our tormentors asked us for mirth, saying, Sing us one of the songs of Zion. How could we sing the Lord's song in a foreign land? How could we sing the Lord's song whenever it was the very people who were tormenting us who were asking to sing? were asking us to sing. And so they lamented, they, they, they wept, and they recognized that something had been lost that was irreparable, that could never be replaced. The people's entire lives were turned upside down, and now they had to figure out how to move forward. They had to even decide if they were going to move forward. And in this situation, God speaks to them. God sent a letter through the prophet Jeremiah to the exiles with a message. And this is the message that God gave to them. Build houses and live in them. Plant gardens and eat what they produce. Take wives and have sons and daughters. Take wives for your sons and give your daughters in marriage that they may bear sons and daughters. Multiply there and do not decrease. And so God was telling them basically to to get comfortable. You're going to be there for a while. God instructed the exiles to build houses and plant gardens. Now, I'm guessing that's not the letter that the exiles were expecting. I'm guessing the letter that they were expecting said something like, don't worry, I've seen this awful thing that the Babylonians have done. They've destroyed my house, and and now I'm going to come and get my revenge, and, and I will destroy Babylon and wipe them out, and I will bring you back. And we'll rebuild Jerusalem, and it'll be better than, than the beginning. That's, that's what I would have looked for. And yet that's not what God told them to do. God told them, basically, get comfortable. This is home now. Multiply. This is where your children are going to get married. This is where your grandchildren are going to be born. This is home. Have you ever moved somewhere temporary? temporarily. Maybe um, whenever you went to school or you had a temporary job and you were on assignment somewhere for a period of time and, you know, you, you move there, but, but you don't really move there. I was like that whenever I moved to Nashville. I had a great time there. I moved there for three years and even got a bonus year on the end. We were there for four, but, but I always knew that I was coming home to Oklahoma. 
And so I didn't change my driver's license. I didn't change my voter ID. I, I didn't buy a house. I couldn't have afforded to buy a house, but even if that option were open to me, I probably wouldn't have. But, but I knew that we were coming back here, and, and so it wasn't home. So, so I prepared myself for the eventuality when it, whenever I would return home. And that was not the case for the people who were in exile. What they found out was that they were going to be staying there, that they need to build their houses there, that they needed to plant gardens so they could eat, that even new generations were going to be born and live and grow up there in a foreign land, in a place that didn't worship their God, that had different customs. And not only were they to settle down in Babylon, but God even instructed them to actively seek the welfare of the city. This is what God says in the letter continuing, but seek the welfare of the city where I have sent you into exile and pray to the Lord on its behalf. For in its welfare, you will find your welfare. Now, if I were one of the exiles, the last thing that I would have wanted was for Babylon to thrive. I think in their situation, I would have been fine with it crumbling down around me as long as it didn't thrive. And yet that's not what God invited them to do. God invited them to pray for the city and even invest in its welfare to actually build up the city that was responsible for the destruction of their home. Because even though they were in some place that they never wanted to be, that was where their life was now. When life brings us somewhere we don't want to be, no amount of wishing can make it otherwise. And we're often tempted to, to bargain, to, to rail against our situation, to protest, whatever it is. But we can only experience life as it comes to us, not as we want it to be. And so for the people of Judah to actually experience life, they had to experience it in Babylon. For them to live and thrive, they had to learn to thrive in Babylon in exile. And yet what God told them, this message that, that seems kind of harsh, you know, basically get comfortable there, you're going to be there for a while. It's not just that. It was also an invitation to them to live fully, to live fully in the place that God had sent them, to, to plant gardens and, and to eat its produce, to enjoy the fruit of creation, to build homes where their families could live together, where they could welcome people and, and entertain people. And to have children, to, to rejoice in them, to, to have grandchildren, to be fruitful and to multiply. And even to seek the welfare of their city, because as the city prospered, so would they. But there's the promise that they could prosper. When we take life as it comes, we can learn to live fully even whenever we're in exile. Even whenever we're in a place that we never would have chosen on our own. And whether that's a place that we're forced to live because an invading army drove us there, whether it's a situation that we're in because of conditions in our industry, whether it's a global pandemic or anything else, we can learn to thrive even in the places that we don't want to be, even in situations that we don't like, whenever we learn to take life as it comes and to thrive there. Because despite their exile, God's blessing never left the people of Judah. It was always with them. And, and whenever God told them to multiply, to increase, and not to decrease, it actually harkens back to God's blessing at the beginning in creation. Whenever God told the people to go forth to, to be fruitful and to multiply, that same blessing that God had pronounced on humanity then was true for humanity that day in exile for the people of Judah. God still wanted them to be fruitful, to multiply, 
to enjoy the life that God had for them. And God made a way for that to happen. And God can make a way for that to happen for us too when we learn how to take life as it comes. And yet that's really hard, right? It it sounds nice to say, oh yeah, you can have a life in exile. Just build a house, plant a garden, and you'll be good, right? Well, probably not that simple, is it? To, to make a home in exile, we need something else, not just instructions, uh, not just someone to tell us what to do. We actually need help. And what we need is hope. We need hope to sustain us if we are going to be able to live in exile, to live in conditions that, that frankly, are awful. And so pa- the, the Apostle Paul has wisdom for us that, that he writes in the letter to the Romans, chapter 8. This is what he says. I consider that the suffering of this present time, the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing with the glory about to be revealed to us. For the creation waits with eager longing for the revealing of the children of God. What Paul recognizes is there are present sufferings, that there are things about the world that are not the way that we think they should be. And he even recognizes that not just people, but all of creation groans against those things and yearns for the day when God would restore things to the way that God originally intended them to be. That's what he means whenever he talks about the revealing of the children of God, that, that God would restore things to the way that God originally intended. And whenever we remember God's original intention, we can actually hold on to hope because we recognize that even though we see the way that things are, we know that God has promised to deliver us from them. And we see that through Jesus. We see that through his resurrection, through his life, through his death, and as he rose from the dead and God invited us to new life and into a living hope. Because for those of us who follow Jesus, Christian hope is not based on optimism. It's not just based on thinking things are going to get better. It's based on God's promises and the promises that one day the children of God will be revealed fully. One day God will restore things to the way that they're supposed to be, that justice will reign, that that righteousness will spread, that God will be with us, that God will wipe every tear from our eye and everything will be the way that God intended. That's the promise that we hold on to. And so we don't hold on to optimism. There, you know, optimism isn't wrong in and of itself, but, but it really doesn't help us whenever we get into situations like this because really whenever we talk about optimism, we're talking about a, a reasonable expectation based on circumstances that things will improve, right? Even if they're not ideal now, I can, I can see a path forward because I'm, I'm optimistic. I can see that things will work together for the way that I want them to be. But that's not what Christian hope is. Christian hope is much deeper than that. It's based not on current circumstances and reasonable expectations, but on who God is and what God has promised us. Paul continues, For in hope we were saved. Now hope that is seen is not hope. For who hopes for what is seen? But if we hope for what we do not see, we wait for it with patience. Whenever we put our trust in Jesus and follow him, we're invited into a new way of life. We're saved. And yet that that way of life always has a future component. Jesus invites us to experience his eternal life even now in the present life. But there's always a future component that we wait for, and that is our hope. That is our hope that God will restore all things. And and so we wait in that hope, and, and we actively anticipate it. Because the waiting with patience that Paul talks about, it's not just sitting around. It's not just sitting on our hands and and just waiting and don't worry, God's going to fix everything and and then it'll be all right. That's not what it is. It's actively anticipating and participating in God's work of hope. 
of recognizing that God is at work bringing a new reality into existence. And as the people of God, God is inviting us to participate in that. God is actively inviting us to build the kingdom of God on earth, to be a part of what God is doing, even whenever we find ourselves in Babylon. We see this clearly in the life of the early apostles at the beginning of the church, really just before the church began. Um, In the book of Acts chapter 1, it tells us that before ascending to heaven, Jesus instructed his disciples to wait in Jerusalem for the coming of the Holy Spirit. This is what it says. While Jesus stayed with them, he ordered them not to leave Jerusalem, but to wait there for the promise of the Father. To wait. And I don't know what the disciples were thinking, but my guess is they were pretty excruciating as they were trying to figure out how do we wait. Because they had just been through Jesus' death just 40 days before that. He died and then rose again. And whenever he died, their hopes were utterly destroyed. And then he came back only to go away again. And now they had to wait for the Holy Spirit to come. I can't imagine that that was easy. And so we look at their example and we ask, how do we wait in hope whenever waiting is excruciating? This is what they show us. First, we pray. We pray. This is the way that that they spent their waiting time. It says, all of these, speaking of the disciples and the apostles, were constantly devoting themselves to prayer, together with certain women, including Mary, the mother of Jesus, as well as his brothers. But as they waited, they devoted themselves to praying, to praying for God's spirit to come, to to praying for a deeper relationship with, with God, to pray for God to prepare them for what was to come. Not only here, but we actually see that in Romans as well, as as Paul's instructing the people in the passage that we were just looking at. This is how he continues that passage. He says, Likewise, the Spirit helps us in our weakness, for we do not know how to pray as we ought, but that very Spirit intercedes with sighs too deep for words. And God, who searches the heart, knows what is the mind of the Spirit, because the Spirit intercedes for the saints according to the will of God. As we long for the hope that God has in store for us, sometimes we don't even know how to pray. Whenever I look at the situation that we're in and everything that we've gone through, whenever I just think of what's been on my mind and in my heart, there are a lot of times that I just have no words. And yet in those times, the Spirit actually intercedes for us, prays in us and through us, and helps us to experience God's hope, even as we long for it. And so we pray, and so we ask the Spirit to to speak through us, to speak to us, and to pray on our behalf. And then after we pray, we also prepare. And so the disciples didn't only pray and do nothing. They they actually prepared um, themselves for the mission that God had for them. And so after they had... um, after Jesus had gone, they found themselves with, um, with 11 apostles. Judas had betrayed Jesus and, and then had died, and so they only had 11. And so they had to find someone else to, to take Judas's place. Part of that was because it was important, the 12 tribes of Israel, and then there were 12 apostles. And so um, symbolically, that was important. I think 11 people didn't want to try to do the work of 12, and so maybe they also wanted to have someone come alongside and help them. But, but either way, they, they needed someone to take Judas's place. And so this is what they did. It tells us in Acts one twenty six. after considering two candidates, um, they cast lots for them, and the lot fell on Matthias, and he was added to the 11 apostles. You know, we don't hear about Matthias after this. We don't know what he did um, as far as how he contributed to the church. But we know that for them, for the apostles to be prepared for the work that God had for them, 
they needed to round out their number. They needed to bring in the 12th. And Matthias is the one who completed that. And as we wait, you know, sometimes we really don't know what we're waiting for. As we try to prepare, we don't know what we're preparing for, but we can take those small steps to prepare for what God has for us. And so because they did that, because they prayed, because they prepared, when the Holy Spirit showed up on Pentecost, the apostles were ready. This is what Luke tells us in the book of Acts. He says, When the day of Pentecost had come, the disciples were all together in one place. And suddenly from heaven there came a sound like the rush of a violent wind, and it filled the entire house where they were sitting. Divided tongues as of fire appeared among them, and a tongue rested on each of them. All of them were filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other languages as the Spirit gave them ability. And that very day, Peter preached a sermon and 3,000 people were baptized and followed Jesus. And the church grew and spread throughout 2,000 years and across the entire planet. And because of them, the people called Acts 2 United Methodist Church exist today because they were ready. During a time of waiting, they prayed and they prepared. And God was ready whenever the Holy Spirit came. They were ready for what God had for them. And so whenever you find yourself in those times of waiting, whether you're just waiting for 10 days in in between Jesus' ascension and Pentecost, or, or whether it's for 70 years, like the people of Babylon, that same Holy Spirit empowers you to pray, to prepare, and to live fully in God's good creation. That same Spirit empowers us and fills us and helps us to pray even when we don't know how and allows us to live that life that God has for us. And the same Holy Spirit empowers us for the mission that God has given us, which is the same mission that was given to those original disciples. And so even in the midst of a global pandemic, we've not been able to meet in person, but the work of the church has continued. Every week we've had church online, we've continued to worship God and to sing God's praises. And people have not stopped having needs in the midst of this. And so we've continued to serve God's people in a variety of ways because God has continued to call us to that work. And we've continued to share God's salvation. We've continued to share the joy that Christ has shared with us because God has called us to mission and God has called us to serve. And even whenever things are going crazy and the world seems to be falling apart, God's mission remains. And even whenever our plans are on hold, God's plans are moving forward. And God invites us to be a part of that. And we can do that whenever we take life as it comes, whenever we learn to inhabit fully the life that God has invited us into, when we pray, prepare our hearts, and whenever we take the steps necessary to be ready to serve with God. So how can we live that out? These are our action steps for this week. The first one is to do what the exiles did whenever they were beside the waters of Babylon, and, and that is to weep. Whenever life comes at us and takes us someplace we don't want to be, we recognize that there are things that are genuinely lost, and that's hard. And so we grieve what has been lost. We recognize that those things are hard because it's only whenever we recognize that something has been lost that we're then able to move forward into what God has for us. We're able to grieve what has been lost and to move forward. And so we weep. And then we pray. We intercede for the welfare of God's people and even our enemies, and especially our enemies. We pray God's will be done. We pray God's kingdom come. And we pray for the people who disagree with us. 
even the people who violently oppose us. Because if the people of Judah could pray for the very country that had totally destroyed their city, we can probably pray for people who disagree with us on the best way to move forward in a pandemic. It's sad that in the midst of all of this, we're as divided as ever and maybe even more so. What we see whenever we come into uncharted territory, the example of the people of God is, is to pray for our enemies, who really, if we're honest, aren't even our enemies, and to seek the common good, to seek the welfare of the city that we find ourselves in. And then we prepare. We take the next step in faithfulness to God's call. And so in, in some ways, we've been doing that as we've gone along. There are some next steps that we've had to take to prepare ourselves to live in this new reality. Um, you know, three months ago, you may have never heard of Zoom, but I'm guessing a lot of you even, maybe you're not Zoom ninjas yet, but you can probably at least figure out how to sign into a meeting. Maybe even unmute yourself. And, and so we're learning new things. We're taking the next step in faithfulness to God's call. And so what, whatever that is for you right now, you know, if, if you're in between jobs, maybe that's, that's learning something new. And maybe that's spending more time in your Bible. I know for, for a lot of us, for me, one of the things that I've recognized is that over the last two weeks or so, I've been a lot more anxious, and I've really not always been as available to my daughter as I want to. I've just, I've been stressed and, and not fully there. And so one of the things that I realized to really prepare myself to continue to go forward with God, I need to make sure that I'm caring for my mental health that I'm taking time off, that I'm spending time in prayer, that I'm exercising. I'm going to start that next week, but making sure that I'm caring for myself. And so what, what is it that you need to do to prepare so that whenever God calls, whenever God has the next thing for you, that you're ready? And then finally, we plant. Choose one way to engage fully where you are today. And, you know, for, for the people who were, who were taken into exile in Babylon, you know, maybe for them the first step was just planting that garden, you know. Just, just till the ground where you're going to plant that, and that was the first step that you could take. And then the next day, plant the seeds. And then the next day, water. And just take one step after that, and eventually what you find is that this reality that you've been res- resisting, as you take one step after another, you're actually able to engage fully and to experience the life that Jesus has for us, the life that he has for all of us. Whenever we're willing to plant a garden, to build our home, we can have a real life, even when we're in exile. And so whether you're in Babylon or, or whether you're with the apostles celebrating on Pentecost, whether things are, are just unspeakably awful or, or more ecstatic than you could ever say, Jesus is there offering us abundant life right where we are through the Spirit who is with us in everything, who inspired those first disciples on Pentecost and who sends us into mission even today and invites us into the life that Jesus has for all of us. Will you pray with me? God, we thank you that you invite us into the life that is really life. Not just some excuse for what we wanted, not just something that is shiny, but ultimately worthless. But the life that is really life, the life that only you can provide. And so, God, we pray that you would help us to step into that, that you would help us to live fully in it, and that you would help us to prepare and to pray so that whenever it's time to take the next step in the new world that you're creating, 
that we would be ready. And as Jesus taught us, so we now pray together. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses, as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen.